This is Scamp Life, the other side, a bi-weekly podcast for summer camp professionals with your hosts, Kelly and Shauna. Now it's time for another thought-provoking episode exploring the amazing world of summer camp. Hey everyone, welcome back to Scamp Life, the other side. It's me, Shauna, and Kelly's here as well. How are you doing, Kelly? The week we are recording this, I was frozen in my house for an entire week because I live in Alabama and nobody knows how to treat the roads out here. Other than that, I got to go to work today, so I'm doing great now. Nice. Awesome. How are you, Shauna? I had a similar week here in Chicago with negative double-digit degrees, so that was exciting. Had to pull out my sleeping bag jacket, as I call it. It is just like a hood that with sleeves that goes all the way down to my ankles. Still didn't keep me warm, so yeah. Glad we're having this heat wave today. It's like 22 today. And so. yet you're still recording in the dark. I am still recording in the dark because there was a car accident that hit a, what are those called, a transistor or something, and we're just having no power here About right what, now, so. like what, five minutes before we started recording? Probably like 15 minutes, because at first I was confused as to what happened <laughs> and thought maybe I didn't pay my electric bill, and I was like, no, I did, and I went and double-checked that, and then that's how I got the alert that was like, you have no power. <laughs> so here we are, but we're doing it. We're doing it. We're and we have someone it. with us today. We do. We have Claire Griffith, who I had the privilege of meeting at the uh, Women in Camp Summit this, well, I guess this past year, 2023 in December, which was just a few weeks ago. And I attended their session on trauma-informed care, and I loved it. And not even halfway through the presentation, I was like, I have to have them come on our podcast. So Claire, welcome. And can you introduce yourself to us? Thank you guys for having me. This is my first time on a podcast. So you guys get to be my first. Like you said, my name's Claire. I currently work as a rec specialist with cognitively impaired individuals. I work specifically with the youth, but also do adult programs. In the past, I was the director of both a typical day camp and then also an overnight camp for kiddos with autism. But more of what I'm going to be talking about is the manager side dealing with your counselors rather than with your campers. Mm -hmm. Because we hear a lot about this, about about campers, but never about our counselors. Yeah. And that is something that I really enjoyed about your session. Cause we do, we talk so much about campers care and how we can work with their mental health, but we, we very rarely talk about mental health of counselors or how to do trauma-informed care with our counselors. So can you tell us for many of us, this is novice. So can you tell us what trauma-informed care is? I can. I feel like first we need to ha- take a quick second to talk about what trauma is though. Ooh, so okay. Trauma is a, it's the physiological reaction you have to something that bad that has happened to you. And so trauma itself is subjective. It's going to be different for every single person. What I find traumatic, someone else might not try and find traumatic and vice versa. Um, But it has very physiological things. There's like actual measurable effects in the brain, in the body, in hormones, 
it's not just like, oh, I'm feeling anxious now. It's changing everything about how we function and how our brains work. So there's that. Um, but trauma-informed care, it's becoming more and more commonplace, which is super cool. It started in the medical field and it's basically boiled down to all behaviors communication, which is if a behavior is happening or someone is doing something and you don't necessarily understand why, the answer isn't what's wrong with this person, it's what happened to this person. It's realizing that trauma has shaped how most of us are as people, because whether you realize it or not, you've probably experienced at least some form of trauma. And the question is just how does that shape your behavior? And then how do I move forward knowing this about you or without knowing this about you, but as your boss, it's my job to treat you that way. If that makes any sense. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. During your presentation at Wix, you spoke about how Gen Z, Gen Z is like trauma is reaching Gen Z differently or the Gen Z is handling trauma differently. So can you speak more on that and what makes Gen Z such a big difference from millennials or Gen X and so on? Yeah, so Really quick, just to break it down for anybody that doesn't know, Gen Z is anyone born between 1996 and 2012, which means Gen Z actually doesn't include a lot of our campers. Our campers are turning into more Gen Alpha. Millennials is anyone kind of 81 to 95. Gen X is 65 to 80. And then baby boomers are 46 to, to 64. Just so you get kind of a year range of what the generations we're talking about are. But Gen Z's trauma is really different because every generation has experienced some form of big trauma. I mean, like the great generation was dealing with like world war. So obviously they're experiencing trauma. Boomers had like the war in Vietnam. Gen X had a lot of like the financial crisis. And so every generation has its own traumas. Gen Z though, is the first generation to ever be so heavily online compared to other ones. And I think that's the really big thing that makes their trauma different is social media. You're dealing with really, really traumatic formative memories that aren't even your own, which is like a wild thing for your brain to process because the human brain often cannot tell the difference between something it's seeing and something it's actually experiencing. It's why like horror movies, even though you're obviously not in that situation, your your like blood pressure and your heart rate's going up. It's because your brain can't tell the difference between what is a real threat and what's like a perceived threat. Also how, and that kind of lies into like, so I'm, I'm Gen Z technically barely. I'm one of the oldest of Gen Z and some of my earliest memories are 9-11. Mm. Like seeing that on the news, hearing about that, like I was in first grade. So like we were, I was on a trip with my family when it happened. My husband was like in class and they like pulled in a TV and we're like showing the news and he would have only been second grade. So that's pretty young to be seeing what's a pretty horrific thing. Mm-hmm. And I'm shocked the schools the difference that, that in. That is- that's yeah, insane. Young grades. Oh, because yeah. I was fourth grade. My husband and they told didn't me that. Tell us anything. Oh, I was a sophomore. I was gonna say, yeah. My husband said that we they the brought TV. in a TV. That's yeah, so wild to me. That's insane. That they were, yeah, doing that for elementary school kids. Yeah. That's terrifying. But I, I mean, was also in New York, right. so for us, I mean, they did. Yeah. They didn't tell us. <laughs> and I was in my husband was in, so in, we were in nowhere, old Michigan. Enough. Yeah. Okay. So 
maybe because you guys were so far removed from it it wasn't it didn't seem as close i guess even though it was our country i mean but, it was, i heard the plane fly over so i mean that was pretty close yeah yeah <laughs> i i didn't even live in america at the time i lived oh, in the wow. uk wow. so i was not and even they, in the u.s so you were on vacation where then we were in england we were in we were at a place called portsmouth which okay, is yeah. like if if anyone from the uk is listening there's a bunch of like cool old boats there and we yeah. were there with like my grandparents like showing them but my grandparents well like lived in america obviously and the, we were like in a chippy i think and like on the tv mm. it was happening i don't have a lot wow. of actual memories of the moment i have a lot of memories of like adults reactions to it because i would have been kindergarten or first grade mm -hmm. no i can't remember which but I wasn't necessarily remembering the moment that it happened. I don't remember the news. I remember the adults around me acting really weird. And then I remember one time standing in front of the TV and it being on like a loop. Like the news was yeah. just playing it on the loop, which like is a kind of insane thing for a young brain to see. And again, that's different because like, so the great generation or the silent generation who were dealing with world wars, this was like their lives. Like the things that they were, that were traumatic were things that they were seeing in their communities. Whereas mm -hmm. I was this kid in England staring at this awful thing that was happening in America and the young brain can't tell the difference. So there's that. Yeah. And then the way that news is presented is very different now than how it was like 20, 30 years ago. Mm -hmm. I did a lot of like scouring news, like, not news articles, but news actual programs. And just the way that anchors talk is so different like now than it was in the 80s. Mm. And it's much more, you should be afraid rather than just here's the news. Yeah. That makes and that's not exclusively true because obviously like we had the Cold War and everything, which was literally just be afraid of like the Soviet Union. But mm -hmm. it was much more localized. And then- also, just social media is really bad for young attention spans, like short form media, things like TikTok videos, as entertaining and awesome as they are, just destroy your attention span. Like, I can tell you, I've noticed a genuine difference in myself. And then young, especially young girls, just having this constant bombarding of like what their lives should be, what their bodies should look like to a degree that just no other generation really experienced in the same way. Yeah. Just being bullied is over a big a one. Stanley. I mean, that's crazy. Yeah. I'm just thinking yeah, about especially how much considering it was... Stanley's used to be the thermos your grandpa yep. had. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was just thinking about how much we were like millennials were inundated with like heroin chic and, you know, in the early two thousands with everybody, you know, basically looking like they were malnourished to be that skinny mm -hmm. and how inundated that was for us I can only imagine how it is when you can just keep scrolling and scrolling never ending through it because it harmed a lot of millennial women and some men just with how much that was presented to us in our magazines and MySpace and all of that stuff so yeah wow that is that explains a lot about how they're handling trauma differently because it's so in their face. I was yeah. say that's the thing is none of what I'm talking about with how like Gen Z specifically is experiencing trauma differently 
is to say that the other generations didn't experience similar things because Mm -hmm. like you said like millennials did it's just the genuine quantity of it because of social media Mm -hmm. and then you dive into covid and how thinking about our counselors like my 16 to 18 year old counselors were anywhere between sixth grade and like freshman in high school which is a super important social developmental stage when covid hit that are now mm-hmm. expected to be in charge of other children without having the proper development themselves and then yeah. when you go in going what's wrong with you why can't you handle this like how do you think that makes them feel when they were children themselves when mm-hmm. all of this was happening and they were kind of put on the burner and now we're like go back to work be normal yeah and they didn't get that chance to to build up resiliency for situations and things like that because they missed out on that whole like two to three years of social just interactions yeah speaking of resilience you also talked about how different generations look at resilience where you had mentioned like how some older generations think of resilience as going through trauma and it helping you become like a better person or building up like your grit and how that isn't actually resilience. Can you talk more about that? Yeah. So that's my like least favorite statement of all time. Your trauma didn't make you stronger. It made you traumatized. I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. That's that's an interesting way to look at it though, Shauna. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm glad you mentioned that because I have never, yeah, I guess it's all been drilled into me that like, you know, what you go through makes you resilient. Yeah. And this is this Dang. is actually the first time I'm hearing that shift in in terminology. Cause yeah, I keep I've always heard it as, you know, what you go through makes you stronger. Yep. And as soon um, as I- Claire said that in the session, I was like, oh, that's why I'm in therapy. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> Because it didn't make me stronger. It made me mentally unhealthy. I think one that I've heard before that I really like is instead of what what doesn't kill me makes me stronger, what doesn't kill me mutates and tries in. Trauma just doesn't work like that. Resilience itself and what often older generations refer to as resilience is itself a trauma response. Because you're sitting there and you're going, okay, here's all these random coping mechanisms that I have made to deal with X, Y, and Z. But if you weren't able to do those or take those away, you wouldn't be able to function, which means inherently you're having a trauma response. Yeah. So jumping off that, that that's going to, I feel like if people listen to us, that right there is going to blow a lot of people's minds in itself. So let's talk about the principles of trauma-informed care. So what are those and how do we do them? So- there's six of them. And the principles are less like rules of what you're doing. Like, it's not what you're doing. It's things that as someone doing trauma-informed care, you should be aware of. But mm. first principle is safety. So safety is not just physical safety, but physical safety is obviously like the top. Second is emotional safety. Have you made a place where your counselors, I'm just going to start talking like that because that's who I'm talking about. Have I made a space where my counselors feel safe enough to come to me with a problem? Have I made it where they are safe enough to go, hey, you really messed up in this? Have I created safety both physically and emotionally for them? So that's number one. Um, Second is 
you have to make yourself trustworthy and transparent. And then peer support is number three. Four is collaboration. I'll go into a little bit more detail on all of them in a second. Five is like empowerment, voice, choice. And then number six is cultural, historical, and gender issues. And that one's also a really big one. So these are not by any means in order of importance. I feel like you can kind of lump trustworthy and transparent with collaboration, empowerment, and voice. At least in my mind, they're very similar. Have I, as a manager, made myself trustworthy? Am I not hiding things from them? Am I being real with them? Am I letting them know what's actually going on? Because that involves a certain level of trust as a manager to look at your counselors and go, our budget has run out and we're on week Mm -hmm. six of 11. I do that. Like I I have to trust them. them. There's a lot of people who don't managers who will just like let the fire happen and not tell the counselors that the fire is happening. Right. But they need to know, they Mm -hmm. need to know how to deal with this as well as we do. And then on top Mm -hmm. of that, okay, our budget has run out on week six. And then one of my counselors comes, I have this really good idea that maybe we can do a fundraiser or maybe we can do like, here's the materials I found to do an arts and crafts that won't cost us any money. Giving them power in the program is a huge deal because a big thing with Gen Z that's very different too is... I don't know if you've ever heard this metaphor before. It's don't ask why you're going to the top of the hill, just go to the top of the hill. And that's very common in older generations where it's, if I'm getting paid, I don't ask why. Mm. Whereas Gen Z very specifically is coming out. It's like, why am I going to the top of the hill? What's there? Like, what's the point? Why are we doing this? And if you then give them the power to go like, yes, I'm in charge. I'm the director. I'm your manager. But you guys are the ones that spend every day with these kids. You're the ones putting in the hours and hours of sweaty, thankless work. How do you guys want this program to look? Because you can't just do what my vision is because I'm not the one running. I'm not the one doing it. Mm -hmm. You guys are the ones out there. You're the ones that know your kids' needs, understand their needs, and know what will work and what won't. I don't spend every day with them. So that's what I feel is really important. Peer support is just like build a community for them because if they don't like each other, they're not going to stay. If you've ever done like a, why did you come back kind of survey? Half the time Mm -hmm. it's because my friends did. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. build that. And also just being a counselor is really hard. Yeah, it is. And I think like to talk about it, like, oh, it's so fun. This is my cute little summer job. Mm -hmm. It's hard. It's real hard. Yeah. I think that people forget, like, once they get into our positions, just how hard it is, too. I find myself hearing other camp directors be like, well, I just did it when I was their age, and we just got through it, and we had better child management skills, and it's like, but did we? Didn't we learn along the way, and wasn't it just as hard? <laughs> um, I mean, that's I why think we I... forget that. That's why I talk so much about the, the summer I go, you know, I went back and I was a counselor after I was a director for... Mm-hmm. I ran my program and I went to New York and I was a counselor for, for two weeks in cabin with, with 10 year olds, because it gave me that like refresher of where we are now. And I think there's an episode yeah. about it a while, you know, I think it was before you came on Shauna about my recap of that. And th- just what I learned from being a counselor again, because it had been, you know, 
10 years or so, eight years since I had been one. So it was, I still recommend it and I would still go back and do it again. Yeah. I have the, when somebody's out sick and I don't have enough coverage, I get to go in and do that sometimes. It happens at least once a summer. So I always get a good reminder. I wish that I could go do it at another place so that the kids didn't know like, oh my God, the principal's in here with us, you know? Because I do feel like that makes a difference, but I do get like a really nice review of what it was like and what my counselors are going through every day and just seeing how I can support them more. So I think that is really important. I think there's also when you're in the conversation of like, why can't they do it? We did it when we were young Mm -hmm. is especially with kind of older Gen X especially, is the financial situation and the financial difference of payment for counselors has not changed very much over the last like 40 years, but it costs exponentially more to just exist. So I had counselors who were, I had one this summer who was like, I love this job, but I don't think I can make rent. So on top of dealing with your own issues, the children's issues, you're then also sitting there wondering, can I pay my bills? Whereas Mm -hmm. that wasn't historically happening. Yeah. Especially sleepaway camps where, you know, we know that there is, you know, work abuse happening. Not just sleepaway camps, it's day camps, it's all of them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, for sure. But it's, it's even more rampant at traditional sleepaway camps because Mm -hmm. your hours are 24, six, you know? And sometimes, and just like don't. that, you can get away with paying under minimum wage. Oh I yeah, mean, I there's still... some camps where it's... I only got paid fifteen hundred dollars for an entire summer, and I was a supervisor. Oh yeah, easily. Yeah, but I mean, also too, there's still organizations out there that are docking room and board off of pay, and and have, laundry, and laundry, and meal. You know, it's like all those things where it should. Ju- I I fought that at one of the organizations I worked for. Cause they, they, the way they figured out the pay scale, like docked that. And I was just, Oh, I fought that one hard. Good for you. That's I was awesome. Prepared. But the coverage of room and board doesn't negate the fact that you have an apartment that exists. Right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So like, cool. I'm glad that you're taking this out of my pay, but which means then you're making it so that only mid or middle and upper class People can, people who can afford to lose money can be a counselor. Yeah. Yeah. That's its own fun can of worms though. Yeah. (laughs) Let's railroad it back on to what we're talking about. Cause we can go down. I mean, you can railroad that back on with (laughs) cultural, historical and gender issues. Let's talk about if you're making it so that your poorest counselor can't pay rent or Mm -hmm. say, so like my experience, I lived in a very predominantly white area that's where our camp was we had like two black counselors it's like can I make you feel safe as the minority here and the answer is like honestly no I can't Mm -hmm. but I'll do everything in my power Mm -hmm. yeah and we actually had a situation at our camp where one of the other counselors on social media was saying some really really awful derogatory things and then our counselors came back to us and were like, we all know that this has happened. It happened outside of work hours, but 
Like we all know this happens and now none of us trust her. And I had to then go as a manager, what do I do? Do I choose giving this girl a learning moment about racism or do I choose the safety of my other counselors? And for me, I chose the safety of my other counselors. Mm -hmm. That might not have been the right choice, but. In that moment though, I I probably would have done the same thing in the moment. Yeah. Mm -hmm. As much as I would have wanted to, to do the learning experience. I mean, at that moment, you're also, even though it happened out of work, you know, time, you still have mm-hmm. to think about all the other counselors that you mm-hmm. are responsible for. And so, I mean, yeah, I, in the moment, I probably would have done the same thing. And there's a number of people who are getting fired from their everyday jobs for things that they're not doing at work that's getting caught on camera. Like there was just a guy, I think, in Nebraska that just got fired or Michigan I think it was Michigan. I think he was a baseball coach at one of the Michigan big universities out there. He just lost his post because he punched a gay Asian man while the man was like trying to get away from him. So I guess it it works in that sense too. Like your personal life has bearings on your work life now because everything is just so intertwined these days or having that separation between work and your home life is more and more difficult now is very true it's also why I fought really hard with all of my young counselors to make their social media and their Instagrams private because Mm. one it's just a safety thing right yeah your stuff private like I understand your children and don't have the ability to sit there but as someone who is now looking at posts from 10 years ago and cringing put that on private but also it's the strange overlap of our oldest campers were 14 and our youngest counselors were 16. And mm-hmm. so what would happen is our oldest campers would try and then find our counselors on mm-hmm. Instagram, on Facebook, on whatever. Apparently kids don't use Facebook anymore. I don't know. But Apparently no. that's what I've heard too. I got made fun of yeah. for being on Facebook this past summer. Oh, my sister brutal to me about being on Facebook. <laughs> But when that's like a new thing where you can all of a sudden sit there and go, well, I had one of my counselors come up to me, a 17 year old, he was a 17 year old male counselor. And he came up to me and was like, one of the girls from our oldest group and my Instagram is public because I'm an athlete and I need colleges to be able to scout. So I need you to tell your daughter to stop bothering my counselor outside of work which is a weird conversation to have. Yeah. But it's for everybody's safety. And this is like, I feel like this conversation that we're having right now directly relates back to trauma-informed care because of that decision that you made between the learning lesson or firing showed your counselor of color that you were being transparent and trustworthy to them. I feel like that showed even more to the rest of your staff of like who you are as a person and that you're a person of your word, which I think is more important than the lesson that that other person needed to learn in that moment. Oh, this can lead perfectly into one of my favorite things. They still learned a lesson, but Mm -hmm. apologize to your staff. If you mess up, go to their face and go, look, guys, I dropped the ball and I'm really sorry. And that's all it Mm -hmm. takes. Like, it's so simple. Bite your pride and tell them you were wrong. I did it all summer, I promise. (laughs) 
I'm pretty sure I did it once or twice this past summer because I got pulled in a different direction. I got put in the barn, as Shauna knows, because all my barn staff quit. And so my leadership, it was just like in their hands. And I was just like, I'm, I'm sorry, I can't help more. Yeah, I apologize. But I think, to I my think staff it leads into often. leading by example of, okay, I'm apologizing to my counselors as their like adult figure in this moment. And I'm going, look, I'm really sorry. I shouldn't have done that. I should have said this or I dropped the ball. I made a mistake. I then saw it where my counselors were apologizing to their campers. And oh. going, look, guys, I dropped the ball. That's on awesome. I'm sorry. So if you can sit there and you can model this for them, they can model it to kids. And when kids see it, they know that they have enough value. So not only are you helping your your counselors, your people under you that you're supervising, you're also helping the kids that they're supervising. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the way that these principles work, it seems like less about training yourself to do certain things, but it's about complete lifestyle and behavior changes in order yeah. to be able to work with your staff and just, you know, prove who you are to them. It can be a lot if you've grown up in the system of like, I'm the boss, listen to me. It can be some mm -hmm. really drastic changes of going, no, I always tried to view it as like, this sounds really corny, but you guys work for me pay wise, but my job is to take care of you. Mm -hmm. My mm -hmm. job as your director is not the kids. My job is you. Yep. yep. Your job is the kid. My job is to make mm -hmm. sure that you guys have what you need to be successful. Mm-hmm. 100%. Kelly, I've been talking a lot. Do you have any questions for Claire? I'm writing notes. There's been so much good information. I'm like, I know. write it all down so I don't forget to I... say it to the staff this summer. Like, I can't even imagine what you were like in the actual presentation, Shauna. Well, like... the thing. I took absolutely no notes because I was just so, <laughs> like, I was just so enamored in the topic and the way that it was presented. I got back to my hotel room and I was like, oh, I want to look at what I wrote down. And I wrote down like four things. <laughs> what do you think's been the greatest challenge then with trauma-informed care and Gen Z? Honestly, this sounds so weird. It might not be the answer you're looking for, but the mentality of, well, my life was hard. So yours should be hard. That mm. happens so much with like supervisors or the people above you. Like, yeah, you may be doing the training and you're in charge of the counselors, but it doesn't mean you're making all of the decisions, right? Yeah. So fighting that like, well, I walked uphill to school both ways kind of thing. Like, okay, I find it really hard to kind of process the thought of so many people trying so hard to make the world a better, kinder, softer place, and then being upset when the world is a kinder, better, softer place. And so then fighting yeah. leadership and kind of going like, no, it's our job to take care of these people, not their job to give everything to us for no pay. Mm -hmm. But, and also just knowing that like my, some of my 16 and 17 year old counselors were the ones who worked the hardest. Harder oh, than I yes. could have worked. They put everything into this in a way that like I as a facilitator, I was never a counselor. Like I'll be real. I kind of jumped right from being like a rec facilitator to being a director. I never mm -hmm. did the counselor vibe. 
but I would just watch them in awe all the time. Cause it's like, where are you pulling this energy from? Cause I don't have it anymore. <laughs> I was never like the big fun counselor who like ran around and had all this energy ever. I have my, my right hand. She is phenomenal. She does have all the energy and I'm just like, good. You can go out there and uh, let me know when you need me. I'll, I'll do everything else. I got you. But like, that's yeah. why we work so well together too. Is she is the energy. I am not. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm not anymore. I'm old now, you know. So And how did you how did you break your knee and everything uh, else? Uh -huh. yeah, I was standing and then I was not. <laughs> so I think my assistants have the energy for me now, but I do miss having that like go get them. We're gonna put this is gonna be a fun day. Came up with all this new stuff to do. I used to have so much fun with my bunk campers. He used to make up games, scavenger hunt, not anymore. Now it's, I'll do the paperwork. Everybody uh -huh. else. I think another challenge that comes with it is not just like fighting the, why won't kids do this? Is as yourself as a manager is setting the boundaries of, okay, cool. I want to be the cool manager. I want to be the fun manager. Like I want you guys to like me and trust me. But at the same time, building the walls of your sandbox and going, here are my hard boundaries from mm -hmm. the get-go don't add these in later at the very beginning go in and go this is my expectation of you and like you might sound like kind of a jerk but I went in to a camp that was having some hard time with the like dynamic of counselors and, and managers and mm -hmm. I was like here are my super clear boundaries I want you guys to trust me and like me and be all of this but first I am your boss Mm -hmm. And here is what you need to be doing as a counselor. And when you build that sandbox, it also builds their trust because it means later on when they drop the ball or something happens or they don't know where they stand, you can go, here's my sandbox. Yeah. So how do you see now that we have talked a, a whole, whole lot and how <laughs> Gen Alpha is now basically all of our campers? How do you see trauma-informed care increasing or improving as we get into Gen Alpha? I think a big thing is that it has to increase moving forward. There's like, for camp to succeed and survive, it has to happen. If it wants to break these cycles of where we're putting our counselors now. So I think there's a certain aspect of like, it needs to improve for the camping world to improve. But with that said, Trauma-informed care is really common in medicine now. It's really common in schools. It is becoming more common in camps. And so it's just kind of being ingrained in people. So mm. I, as like an older Gen Z, was raised on a lot of trauma-informed care just within my life. And so when it came to being a manager then, I was like, of course, like this makes so much sense. So in the same scale of like modeling for apologizing to children kind of thing, you model by putting this trauma-informed care in your camps and then as your gen z counselors see it when they move up the ranks to be leadership which i am so excited to see like what is gen z going to do i love gen z so much um what are they going to do then when they're the manager when they have experienced someone treating them this way and using trauma-informed care they likely will not know that they're doing it but we'll be doing it because that's really common. A lot of people I've seen use trauma-informed care, but don't realize that that's what they're doing. Hmm. Yeah. It makes sense. I mean, yeah. 
I feel like Alpha, Gen Alpha with Gen Z and leadership is going to be so much more empathetic than we ever were. It's going to yeah. be this beautiful mix of empathy, compassion, and just being absolutely feral. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and I think a big thing is, is like we as directors and stuff need to realize that we need to lean into it. You mm-hmm. want to be feral? Mm-hmm. Lean in. Let's go. Yep. But how can we be feral in a safe and... There you go. That's it. (laughs) Oh, I would happily talk for another eight hours about risky play. Yeah. Well, well, that sounds like another episode then. Yeah. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for being here today, Claire. So if you want to talk to Claire, ask her more questions, you can find them on Instagram and we'll be back in a couple more weeks so thanks so much again claire it was great having you and come check us out in two weeks thank you guys for having me other great topic for you (laughs) bye